Future America is an irradiated wasteland. On its east coast, running from Boston to Washington DC, lies Megacity One, a vast, violent metropolis where criminals rule the chaotic streets. The only force of order lies with the urban cops called Judges, who possess the combined powers of judge, jury, and instant executioner. Known and feared throughout the city, Dread is the ultimate judge, challenged with ridding the city of its latest scourge, a dangerous drug epidemic that has users of slow-mo experiencing reality at a fraction of its normal speed. During a routine day on the job, Dredd is assigned to train and evaluate Cassandra Anderson, a rookie with powerful psychic abilities thanks to a genetic mutation. A heinous crime calls them to a neighborhood where fellow judges rarely dare to venture, a 200-story vertical slum controlled by prostitute-turned-drug lord Mama and her ruthless clan. When they capture one of the clans in a circle, Mama overtakes the compound's control center and wages a dirty, vicious war against the judges that proves she will stop at nothing to protect her empire. With the body count climbing and no way out, Dredd and Anderson must confront the odds and engage in a relentless battle for their survival. Ciao my people, and welcome to our 70th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Dread. And with me today to discuss the second live-action incarnation of Megacity's Judge, Jury, and Executioner is returning co-host and dear friend, Mr. Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Nick. How are you, man? I'm doing wonderful, thanks, Kelly, and I'm super, super happy to have you back. It's been a while since we talked and had you on the podcast and, you know, to celebrate this 70th birthday, you know, so uh, very, very happy there to have you for this episode. Um, today, of course, you know, we are discussing Dread from 2012, directed by Pete Travis, who has three films under his belly, including this one. The other two are Vantage Point and City of Tiny Lights. And now he's working mainly in TV, where he recently directed four episodes of Project Blue Book. The screenplay was by Alex Garland. The score was by Paul Leonard Morgan. And an estimate to put it in today's money, this movie cost about $51 million to make and made $46 million at the box office. So, unfortunately, not the best of returns. However, what I'm wondering here is, Kelly, what made you decide to bring Dread to the table? Well, he's not, you know, it, it's Dread is kind of on that line of um, anti-heroes, mm -hmm. I guess you'd say. Um, People love to hate him, hate to love him, and all that kind of stuff. And he's just always been the different kind of, and not necessarily a, uh, like a superhero so much as just, you know, he's kind of more like, you know, along the lines of the, you know, I said the Batman thing, you know, uh, just that anti-hero, the guy that, you know, does the things that nobody else wants to do and, and just keeps plugging along at it no matter what happens. And um, he's been around a long time in the comics and, this iteration of him just happens to be my favorite. So, oh uh, yeah, well, in fact, and we will definitely get to the the actor himself because I know you're a big fan of Carl Urban's. So we'll definitely talk about him. Indeed, you know, now this was very removed from the cheesy first Judge Dread film that we had had with Sylvester Stallone that we had actually talked about on this podcast. Though that movie does hold a special place in my heart. I mean, I was kind of hoping we would get a Stallone cameo in this. But I guess the character he he's who will be playing in the MCU in Guardians of the Galaxy is dread-like enough, I suppose. But it was still a missed sure. opportunity. You know, though I was super curious when it came to this film, as you know, like you, I'm a big fan of Carl Urban's work from Lord of the Rings to The Boys to the MCU. And I wondered how he was going to play this, you know, and how this film would differ from the 95 Danny Cannon film. And I think it, it's definitely safe to say this is a completely different film. And it's possibly truer to the comics. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of pulp style movies. And I think this is exactly what this is. It's kind of that film you'd expect maybe from a Robert Rodriguez, for example. And I absolutely loved the feel and trippy nature of it. Also, 
What I think is intriguing is, you know, you don't really have an overreaching story in this film. It's rather like a day in the life of dread. I mean, this could pretty much be, this is what Tuesday looks like for him in Mega City One. So I thought it was, it was definitely fun. Um, so you, actually, talking to which, were you a fan of the original, or should we say the original where Judge Dredd filmed the one with Sylvester Stallone? You know, I, I was a fan. Um, I... I think they played it more for the kids on that one. Mm. Um, I think they tried to appeal to a wider audience with that movie. I mean, the comic relief in it and all the other stuff that, that was kind of thrown in there, you know, and you got Sylvester Stallone, you know, you've got, um, Oh, what is his name? He plays in Rob Schneider, Rob Schneider, you know, you got Rob Schneider in there, things like that, you know, and I, I get it. They they wanted a wider audience with that movie. They were trying to make some money off of it. You got a big name Stallone in there. I get it. I don't feel it was completely true to source material. And I I, I enjoy the movie to this day. Don't get me wrong. I just think it's a very, uh, you know, I think uh, Stallone tried to catch a line like uh, Schwarzenegger, you know, I'll be back. He keeps screaming, I am the law in the movie. Yes. So, uh, you know, I get it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I like the Stallone version. Don't get me wrong. But it's definitely geared more towards a wider audience and is not as gritty as you would expect. I mean, if you've ever picked up a Judge Dredd comic, they really don't hold anything back. So, um, so yeah, I, I really feel like that this is more true to the source material. And, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a day in the life. And I actually like the fact that there's no extended plot. We're not trying to save the world. We're just trying to save a block. So... It's definitely, definitely great. I mean, you know, and granted, because of that, you know, we don't have a ton of characters that are pretty particularly developed, but we will go with what we have as it is a pretty small main cast if you don't count for the tons of extras, but we will give it our best lawgiver shot, if you will. So let's start with our titular character, the aforementioned Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. So when it came to, to our main character, Kelly, what did you make of this version of Dredd compared to, say, even the Stallone version? Um, believe it or not, I found it pretty refreshing. It was a pretty amazing, um, I was, I was a little concerned that it would turn out like doom, mm. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the way that they wrote this and the way that urban plays dread this time, I mean, the guy never takes his helmet off. Um, he's on the job from the minute he's in uniform to the minute he's, you know, every minute and it's just he really encapsulated what i felt like the comic book dread um really was and that's just a guy doing his job every day and i and dread is i mean if you've ever read the comics dread is the law i mean that's what he believes in that's his that's his moral compass from you know minute to minute that's everything that he is and i think um urban really captured that on this whole situation because he's constantly asking those questions in this movie, you know, you know, what would you do here, rookie, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, it, it really did. Um, urban just really captured that whole like dirty, gritty dread, mm. yeah, yeah. you know, the down to the monotone pissed off kind of <laughs> situation. I think it was, I think it was awesome. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, I do think, though, it was a brave and interesting choice to have Carl Urban wearing the helmet throughout the whole film and never taking it off, you know, unlike what we had seen with Stallone's version of the character. And it very much, I think, showcases what a great actor Urban is. And also, I think, the faith director Pete Travis had in Carl's acting capability as we literally see nothing but his mouth and chin and body language through the whole course of this film. But I suppose, you know, just like Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta, you can feel his emotions in his voice and physical stances. And it is, like you were saying, true to the comics as well, which, you know, doesn't doesn't help us in, in those we really see, you know, we really see Joseph Dredd's face in the comics. And it very much, I think, establishes the fact that his personality, like you mentioned, is the uniform and the uniform is him. And that's all there is to it. I mean, he's literally the embodiment of Megacity One's judicial and law system. And I love that. 
know, just like a helmet, you know, he shows very little or any emotion. And some could make the argument it's almost a criticism on what a police state could look like where, there, where there's no such thing as a gray in between. Because here you're either guilty or you're not, which is what dread represents, which, you know, as you kind of mentioned a little bit, is a great contrast to Cass the Cassandra Anderson character, whom we will get to. I did like that, though it may be too late, Dredd does somewhat change his views and his literal application of the law by movie's end, thanks to Anderson. And fun point, did you find it weird that when Carl Urban does the narration at the beginning and the end of the film, you can hear his Kiwi accident, but in the rest of the film, it magically disappears? Did you, did you find that a little bit odd or you didn't notice I did. it? I don't know if they did that on purpose or if it was just <laughs> him not really realizing that it was creeping in there. Um, mm. And, and, you know, maybe it got too late in, in production to change it, but I, I did, I did hear it a little bit. And I mean, you know, you look at Carl Urban and you look at the roles he's played, like, um, you know, he played Bones on Star Trek. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't know by the way he chooses words that, um, you know, he has that accent. And then you watch him in The Boys and it's kind of a mix. You know, he, you hear his Kiwi accent, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with that. And, you know, there was another um, another show that he played in called Almost Human, where yeah. he used an American accent, and every once in a while that little tweak would would come in there, and it I'm I, I it's just it's fun to watch him, and it's it's I like his accent. I wish they'd use him more where he could actually use his accent instead of having to do an American accent all the time. So actually, but, have uh, a New Zealand character, <laughs> right? And. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's funny because this whole movie, you're right, he had the helmet on the whole time. I, I guess one of the things that I wanted to kind of retouch on there for a second is he portrays every emotion that he has through his facial expressions from the nose down and every movement he makes. And, and, and like you said, it's just, it was absolutely positively, perfectly dread. So... Oh, yes, indeed. And as I said, I think it's the, the staple of a great actor, indeed. You know, when you can, when you're used to, you know, using all of your face, you know, to, 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 uh, emotion, you know, sort of put out emotion and stuff. I mean, you touched up also on the boys. The character of Billy Butcher that he plays in that is, he relies so much also on the little looks he gives and, you know, and just his, the way he emotes. So uh, it was it was odd, you know, because as I said, that, and I love him as Billy Butcher. He's just fantastic oh, yeah. in that. Um, <laughs> what a what a what a rascal! But definitely, yeah. incre incredibly well played by 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 Mr. Carwoman, indeed. Um, so let's get to the rookie who is constantly reminded of her status as rookie, Olivia Thirlby <laughs> as Cassandra Anderson, who is a character which has gotten a lot of love in the comics from fans to the point to where she got her own spin-off series, which is Anderson's Side Division. Also, like in the comics, she is a psychic and a very powerful one at that. An interesting yep. point, she was introduced in a storyline we have talked about before on this podcast, which is the famous Judge Death storyline. And funnily enough, that is the storyline that they originally, the screenplay writer Alex Garland originally wanted to adapt but he thought it would be too hard for non-readers of the comics to understand. Though between you and me, Kelly, I really hope someday we do get the Judge Death story because it's incredible. Um, yeah. But but yeah, um, you know, again, so when it came to the character of uh, Cassandra Anderson, what did you make of her? Well, when she first comes into the screen, you know, when she first comes on, I mean, you know, he Dredd gets assigned her you know, pretty early in the film. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, he's not really happy about. And, um, he, uh, you know, he makes that known from, the, from the get go, but he wants to evaluate her fairly because that's who dread is. I mean, he, you know, I am the law. So, you know, he literally gives her every chance and opportunity, but I think he sees that not every instance is the same. And when she comes into the, into the situation, I really think that um, uh, I don't think we see like a softer side of dread, but I think we see a more understanding side of dread that, yeah. that he is actually a human being. But when she first comes in, he treats her like any other person, which I think is an amazing situation because, you know, we have all this stuff going on in our world right now where people are like, well, men aren't treated the same as women. Women are treated the same as men. Well, in this movie, you get the same treatment. It doesn't matter what you are. So, uh, <laughs> 
And um, it, it's really kind of fascinating to watch her come into the coming to the screen and being a psychic and being able to to read people's thoughts. It really kind of changes the way that Dread has to deal with things because she can hear things and see things before he can. Very much so. Very much so. And, you know, granted, I, I don't know about you, but this was the only film I personally have seen Olivia Thirlby in. But I think she did a great job. I mean, it seems that no matter what universe you look at, be it Marvel or in this case, the IPC media. And since and, you know, literally since 2000, it's become rebellion developments. Nobody loves mutants. So Cassandra starts off with that stigma. Though I don't think yeah. Dread, like you were saying, Dread doesn't hold that against her. You know, as to him, people are just people. And a rookie in training is just a rookie in training, regardless, you know, to go to your point of race, gender, or in this case, species. And, of course, even in real life, there have been cases where the police have turned to declared psychics as consultants. And this could somewhat, I guess, be a play on that as well. Uh, She also, I think, very much wants to be a judge at first because, as she puts it, she wants to make the world a better place and bring justice to Mega City One. Though, as I mentioned, she is a complete contrast to Dredd because he applies every single rule literally, while Cassandra very much believes there's a grey area and then not all cases are the same. And I do think this might slightly rub off on Dredd by movie's end. Because you do also see she seems incredibly shocked and disgusted by what could be seen as the summary executions and openly says she doesn't want any part of it. And, you know, we even see that moment where she hesitates when she has to judge someone for apparently the first time. Also, I think the fact that makes her incredibly she makes herself incredibly vulnerable because she doesn't wear a helmet because she says it messes with her psychic powers. And that was a great choice. And I also love that she can literally stand on her own two feet if, ne- if needed. You know, we see this with Mama's henchman Kay. And she's not such a babe in arms, if you will. She can very be, she can be very brutal with her powers as well. And though, though uh, you know, right. Kay to- totally deserves it. And I was so glad that speaking of that, they kept the canon fact that a lawgiver is programmed to only recognize a judge's hand and cannot yes. be used by a civilian. I mean, what did you make of that? I mean, when, when, when you know, when when, when she's about to possibly be killed by Kay and he wants to kill her with the lawgiver, were you like, were you wondering whether they would keep that fact of the lawgiver only being, only being able to be operated by a judge? Well, I was counting on it because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's each lawgiver is, is, is given to the judge and it's, it's synced to their DNA. So if, if it can't read that judge, then it, it automatically self-destructs and it's been in Canon forever. And I think, one of the things in that particular scene that you're talking about that make you fall in love with her even more is the fact that she's very dreadlike in that whole scenario. Um, I think he rubs off on her as much as she rubs off on him in this movie. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she plays off of him so well in this movie, his demeanor, everything about him, she, she feeds off of that so well in this movie you know it and the fact that she can be on her own and that she's not worried about being on her own and that she's not afraid in the in you know in a lot of these situations you get the damsel in distress type situation she is never that in this movie and oh. that really set her apart from a lot of the roles that i've seen other people play in some of these movies and everybody's like well you know she's a judge well okay great but she's still you know in in you know in this culture you know well she's still a female well again judge dread didn't care whether she was male or female she's a judge she has a job to do she has to perform that job and she does it very well so i i think she did a fantastic job in this movie i really do. i wish and i hope and i and i've been saying this for i don't know years and years there's got to be a dread too and it needs to have those two in it so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I actually, when I saw Olivia Thirlby, I really wanted to go back and watch other movies she's been in, because I was like, 
where have you been all my life? Because this is a fantastic right. actress. I mean, you know, not, you know, granted, of course, she's definitely easy on the eyes as well. But, you know, that's a very superficial comment of mine. But aside from that, she really is a great, great actress. And so I actually went back to watch some other movies of hers because I'm like, I want to see what else she, she, she's done and what, what, she's, what, what kind of range she's got because she's really, really great. And, uh, you know, we, we'd actually almost had that a little bit in the, um, in the Judge Dredd film with Stallone where we'd had the character of judge hershey but i think this is actually an improvement compared to the judge hershey that we had i mean she was great but she wasn't as you know used as much and here obviously we see much more of the the female counterpart if you will so that was great and actually you know speaking of the lawgiver i actually wanted to touch up on this a little bit as it is of course the judge's iconic weapon were you happy with the way it was shown compared to the canon film? Where you know, where we had that very sort of nineties um, cheese, double whammy, rapid fire kind of thing. Did you like this one more compared to that to the nineties one, or would you have liked that kind of a little bit cheesy voice that that, that comes with the Lawgiver? No, I I liked the Lawgiver in this one. Um, a lot of people didn't. I, I don't mm. know why, mm. but I mean, in the comics, I think. I, th I think they use that. I think it talks to you some sometimes in the comics, but I love the fact that all he had to do was say incendiary rounds and it, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, something just crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I just, I really think that it's been, um, you know, it's a, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in the, in the Stallone one, we got the quirky, we got the quirky pistol, but in this one, it was, it was more gritty and yeah. Yeah. And, and you I, know what? I'm go ahead. I just, I liked it. It was, it was to the point and yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I'm so glad we didn't get those terrible clunky flying motorbikes. I mean, they were fun for the 90s, but I'm so glad we didn't get that here. <laughs> they were a bit too much, I think. But once again, you know, that was a 90s movie and it was fully embracing the spirit of the 90s. I mean, it I, was, you know, it kind of embraces some of the stuff in the comics. I mean, they always have problems with their their equipment. But I mean, it's in the comics. It's more of a pain in the butt than it is a comic relief thing, you know we're flying through the air getting chased back in the nineties and all of a sudden your bike cuts out. You know, it's one of those things. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, definitely. I mean, I did kind of miss a little bit of the, 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 the voice, you know, the double whammy rapid fire accompanying voice, but I suppose, like I said, it might've been out of place with the tone this film was setting. Though, of course, I'm glad that we did get it as you can't have a judge dread film without the lawgiver. It's kind of like if you, you're doing a star Wars movie and you don't have lightsabers, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I, I would equate it right. to that. Um, so let's get to our villainous side of the table, starting with Wood Harris as the aforementioned K, who was in such things as The Wire, Paid in Full, and Remember the Titans. And also in, in two of three of these movies, he actually did play a drug lord slash criminal. So he knew how to play this kind of character for sure. So, you know, uh, what, well, you know, because, and see, we do see a lot of him because he does tend to, he ends up tagging along, obviously not voluntarily, with Dredd and Anderson. What did you think of the character of Kay? Um, I think he is um, a drug dealer with ambition, is what I think. I, and I think he portrayed it well. And, and, and I like the fact that he tries to use his own mind against her, you know, mm -hmm. in the movie. And the fact that he's just as calm as can be during most of this, you know, whole charade. And I think he's just used to the violence, which um, is just absolutely, well, it's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about that stuff and you know, you look at, you know, the type of movie this is, and he just did a really good job of being the face of the bad guy. You know, we've got Mama, but she's really not present a lot. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, him, he's always there and he's always the one, you know, um, uh, you know, he's always the face kind of of the bad people in, yeah. in this movie. And he does a really good job of, making that happen 
Oh yes, so. I mean, yeah, because he is the antagonist. You know, like you say, you say that gets to spend most time with our two heroes, and I guess he shows you what things are like for those living on the opposite side of the barricade compared to the judges, because. He is pretty much justified, I think, doing what he does as, you know, you are the bad guy because you go against the system and you don't conform to it. So if you go, don't conform to the system, you're automatically labeled as a bad guy. I, I mean, I'm, but at the same time, I'm in no way absolving this character. He has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, though no. I... You know, yeah. I will I will grant him, though, that many men are no different to him when it comes to confronting a woman, like imagining having sex with her, which was a provocative choice on Garland and Travis's part. But at the same time, it was very real because, you know, I, I, I how I'm sure a lot of men out there when they've come across a beautiful woman, have immediately gone to, to should we say, rather lascivious and lustful uh, ima you know, imaginings in their mind. So. It was kind of like, yeah, this is probably what half of the male population is thinking when they look at Cassandra Anderson. So, you know, the whole thing is, is I, I think in this movie, it wasn't just the fact that he, he used sex as I, I think it, he used it as a weapon in this movie or sure. was trying to. And I think that that, um, you know, most men would fantasize about it, but he's taking it, trying to take it to an extreme in her mind and doesn't realize she's still the one in control. And I think that you know he's trying to use it as a weapon to shake her and it doesn't i mean that's the part that um really endears her in the movie as well is she keeps her composure even in it, she's seeing what he's seeing and she, she still keeps her composure and he's doing his best to make this as lewd and as as you know vengeful as possible and obviously we can't put all that on the screen and still have an r rating so you know they kind of you know they kind of back off that a little bit, but I mean, you get the point. And I think that is a very poignant point. And I think the other point is, is that she's as strong or stronger than he is when that's all over. And yeah, like I said, she played this just absolutely fantastically. Oh, yes. And, you know, and you definitely don't want to get on this woman's bad side because it goes yeah. to show that she can really mess with your head if she wants to. So and also you do wonder when it comes to Kay, whether he ended up working for Mama because he really didn't have anywhere else to go and just does what he does in order to eke out a living. You know, at least that's my theory, because you think to yourself, you know, he is part. He obviously is not doesn't come from a great place because obviously peach trees is not exactly, should we say, a, a great sort of uh, complex. You know, we see the people who live there have uh, going through a very tough living and, you know, are basically, you know, urchins and and, and uh, should we say very poor people. And so you guess you wonder maybe out of desperation he ended up working for Mama, or maybe it's just because if you don't work for Mama and you live in peach trees, you kind of have to leave. So <laughs> that might be also the case. But uh, moving on, you know, when it comes to the standout Mama crew, let's look at our computer expert, Dom Hall Gleason as Klanteki, who our listeners might know from Ex Machina, The Revenant, Harry Potter, Goodbye Christopher Robin, and also he's also been in a couple of Star Wars films as well. So when it came to Techie, uh, Kelly, what did you make of him? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Mm. I think, I think that, um, uh, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff that was, and he's the guy that's controlling the building, correct? Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of that, when he played that, the nervousness that he played, I mean, he's just scared to death all the time. And mm -hmm. I would be too, if I lived in that tower and mom, was running the whole thing and she had pulled out my eyeballs, I'd be a little scared too. So <laughs> I think he does a little, it's not over the top. It's actually believable. And a lot of times when you get people that play roles like that, um, you, uh, uh, you really, you know, they, they kind of take it a little too far. Mm. Um, and I feel like, you know, um, he just had that balance that, you know, he's had that shaky nervousness, but he also portrayed it as, you know, when Mama's standing over him and he's making the call in to lock down the building, you know, they, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that he could have done, but that, that whole scenario was just so believable, you know, when he's sitting there trying to make all that up and just come up with some kind of reason for them to let him lock the building down, mm -hmm. you know? 
So, because if they lock it down unnecessarily, then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going to have judges all on top of your head. They, you know, and, and he did, he played that part very well. He's the epitome of, you know, the nerdy guy. And it was just really, really well put together. And I think, you know, when they finally come across him, Dredd and his partner, when they finally come across him, I feel like, you know, she has a big influence on whether or not. And I think this is one of those turning points you see for Dredd because Dredd probably would have shot him, yeah. but she let him go. So, you know, it was her call. He let her make the call. And I think that, you know, that was his way of, you know, one, evaluating her and seeing what she would do and, you know, that kind of thing. And so he comes off as this, everybody looks at him. I think a lot of people watch the movie for the first time and they just see him as this nervous, slimy character that's doing whatever. And the whole time, he doesn't really want to be there. He has no choice. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I just, I think he played that part so, so well. It just really worked with everything that was going on. And he didn't overdo it. Or at least I felt like he did. I don't think I don't think so either. I mean, you know, Dom Hall Gleason is a, is another character, is another actor with so much range. I actually recently saw a completely different film uh, with him, which is more, should we say, of a rom com, which is about time. And it's a, definitely a fun film. My friend, a friend of mine, uh, introduced me to it, and I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, you know, this guy really has so much range." It's a, it's definitely a fun kind of time traveling rom com, and I and I definitely enjoyed him in that. In this. Speaking of folks who pretty much, like you were saying, find themselves forced to work for Mama, I think Klanteki is definitely a perfect example. Also, I guess no good villain worth their salt in a highly technological world does not have a guy who knows computers. And of course, we've seen this kind of character in multiple movies, so it would obviously uh, behoove Mama to have somebody like this, you know, within her inner circle, if you will. And you do wonder, though, whether Teki actually ever sleeps. I was just looking at how mousy right. and haggard he is. He's right. probably he's probably manning this system twenty four seven. You know, though I'm I'm thinking that either he's actually a mutant himself who has this gift of technology. You know, as we kind of see from the close up of his eyes, but he just looked terrible, as in terribly unkempt and constantly on edge. And as I'm sure, obviously yeah. working you know, working for Mama must not be either an easy job or a stress-free one. And you can very much see that it's taken its toll on who may have one point had a pretty normal life. You know, I I cannot blame him also at the end for betraying Mama by movie centers. She treats most of her minions almost as badly as she treats her enemies. So you would probably expect him to either go completely crazy or betray her, you know, or in extremis, even kill himself. You know, because I wonder whether he may have even thought about actually committing suicide. Because you can see the guy's just like totally out, you know, out of his wits. Yes, completely and utterly. Yes, it's like it's mad. So let's get to our kingpin of peach trees and prostitute turned drug lord, Lena Hedy as Madeline Madrigal, a.k.a. Mama, who my listeners might know from The Remains of the Day, The Purge. 300 Rise of an Empire, and the Sarah Connor, Chronicle, Sarah Connor Chronicles. And she does a great job as Sarah Connor as well. So when it came to this character, Kelly, what did you make of Mama? I, She was very spiteful. That's what I made of Mama. I mm. think she hated the world. And I think that's why she was the way she was. Going from prostitute to drug lord, you know, she despised anything that had to do with the law men and the world in general. And I think she portrayed that very, very well. I think she just had this hate for everything, all of it. And she really put that into the character. Um, She wanted to control her situation. She wanted to control her area. And that was her goal. She accomplished that goal. And then dread shows up and she's not a happy camper. And (laughs) I think she goes to extremes with this. I mean, I love the scene where she's, they've got the chain guns on the, on the balcony and she is just going nuts. And, um, I, you know, it, she's the epitome of, of hate, I think in this movie. And she just hates everything. And Lena Headley did such a great job. I mean, I felt like she was a strung out drug addict the way she looked in this movie. I mean, they really, I think they did well with her character 
you know, as far as makeup and just who she was. And, and I think she got in a really good headspace for this character. And it just, it all just kind of really worked together very well. Cause she, she just literally every turn that she could think of, you know, she just, you know, she can't understand why you can't get rid of two judges. She just doesn't understand who dread is. And I think that, that after, you know, when this comes to the head, I think that, that she finally realizes that, you know, this is judge dread. This is not your typical, you know, judge. And she just really, I, I don't know. There was so much hatefulness in that, in, in that whole thing. And you can feel it. And I think that's, what's important is that you actually feel that she hates everybody. <laughs> and it, it just, she did such a good job portraying that. I mean, you literally, if you're watching that movie and you don't get the, the, the feeling that she hates everything on the planet, then I don't know what movie you're watching. So, <laughs> and and not to mention, it was a great fa- addition to the to should we say the film that she actually has judges on the take, which I thought was amazing. Yes, you know, I thought it was interesting that you know not all judges are you know these law-abiding guys. They're just like I suppose you get dirty cops as well. You do get dirty judges, and I thought it was a very Absolutely. interesting, it's very interesting spin. That, you know, that's how influential Mama is, that she actually can afford, shall we say, to have to have judges on the take. Now, you know, you made a point about the makeup and, you know, Lena Headey is in, an incredibly beautiful woman. And I have yes. to hand it to makeup for making her look as skanky, rotten and decadent as this character is. It kind of reminds yes. me a little bit of um, of what what they'd done for the character of... Um, uh, what was it? I can't remember now the the um, the criminal herself, but the movie Monster. What they had done in that case, it was yes, it was, with it was just, Theron. Yeah, yep. with Charlie Theron. Yep, and you know, and you, she's totally unrecognizable, and we all know what an incredibly gorgeous woman Charlie Theron is. So this is definitely, I think, the same kind of thing with uh, with Lena Headey, and I'm sure she's definitely the product of the cursed Earth society. You know, obviously she was a prostitute, and I assume had been very much abused because of it. So in her own twisted way, you know, to come off your point, she's very much giving back to the cursed earth what she received. Almost like right. a Tony Montana, you know what, it really reminds me also of Tony, Tony Montana, you know, from Scarface, except possibly even more brutal and sadistic. And this could almost be seen <laughs> as a Scarface-like film, you know, from her perspective. Because, right. yeah. you know, because she, we have that moment where she knows and says that eventually her game will catch up with her. And this moment, if you, you know, compare the two, it's literally so says men from the film Scarface storming her mansion, which is peach trees. So I thought to myself, this is Scarface. And, and, and as I'm, and, you know, as I mentioned, she's incredibly sadistic. And you do wonder that is just what gets her off or she's working through the abuse that she received you know, when she was working the street corners of Mega City One, it, it could be a bit of both. And to carry on the comparison with Tony Montana, she pretty much goes down this in the same blaze of glory because he's incredibly high on, co- on cocaine and her, and she gets forced uh, forcibly high on slow-mo. And it almost yeah. seems, you know, like Travis wants to make her death glorious and almost beautiful with the way her body hits the pavement. It almost makes us want to feel sympathy in some form or shape for this, for this character. I mean, when it came to the way she was killed off, you know, that very, that obviously slow motion scene where she hits the pavement. What did you make of that moment? Well, I like the fact that they didn't really hold back on that whole thing. So mm. a lot of movies, when you get a, a situation like that, especially, you know, in a film that's hit theaters and things like that, you always get these cutaways at the end. You don't ever, you know, and then you get the far away shot. Um, I like the fact that they, introduce this drug slow-mo and then they literally you know get her high on it and throw her off of the balcony um hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air mm-hmm. and sh- the whole time she's going down we're watching this from two different perspectives and she's seeing it in this colorful slow motion type of fall just drifting down and everybody else is seeing it as she's literally nose diving through the center of this complex and, you know, you watch this and you, you kind of, you, you're expecting it to, and I mean, they kind of held it out for a while. And that, I think that's part of what made it so surreal at the end and not as brutal looking 
as it would have been if you would have just saw it from Dredd's perspective. So I think yeah. seeing it from her perspective with the slow-mo and then her hitting the ground and watching her hit the ground. I mean, you actually get to see her hit the ground. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things that you're kind of like, should I be like disgusted or should I be like, that's kind of a new way to see things in film. And I mean, I thought it was kind of visionary on their part to watch this happen. So mm -hmm. I think it was, I, I just thought it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, it, it really worked for the movie and the feel of the movie. I didn't think you could have ended it any better. You, you know, well, I very much agree with you. I mean, I, I think uh, um, director Travis, you know, has a has definitely a great eye. I think for for film, it's uh, he because the way just he does it all is just so so uh, trippy. And you know, speaking actually of slow mo, I thought we could actually talk uh, about that a little bit. Before we got to the ending and and uh, you know ratings and stuff and the way this this was shot, as you know, as Travis does focus a lot on the effects of slow mo and how its users perceive the world on their high. So and and you know it does it does play a lot throughout the film. So when it actually came to us seeing, you know, aside of course from what we saw from Mama, but also you know when Dreads kind of storming through peach trees, and uh, you know we he uh, get, ends up shooting a lot of these folks who are on slow mo. What did you make of 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 you know just the way it was shot, and just these moments of these folks who are high, you know, off their butts, and seeing the world kind of being you know kind of exploding as Dread come comes in. So there's been a lot of movies that have experimented in different ways to tell a story. And the matrix is a big one. Everybody mm. knows that. Oh yeah. They, they invented really, bullet time. Yep. Yep. They, they revolutionized, um, the way that people saw a movie. And then you saw that translate into some of Jet Li's movies. I think the movie was, I can't remember. I think it was, um, there was a movie that Jet Li did. And for some reason I want to say it's Romeo must die or something like that. I can't remember, but the, they showed, you know, when he would kick someone or hit someone, they would go to like an x-ray type thing and show the breaks actually happening and different stuff like that. And so I think filmmakers have been looking for that matrix type moment um, for a long time. And I think when dread busts into that one room and he starts shooting up all the junkies in there um, and they start trying, you know, trying to shoot them, you get to see some of that, what, how they view things through the slow-mo point of view. And I think it really gives, I think he really kind of found a unique way to kind of show that off because of all the colors that he used and the different ways that he did that stuff. I think it really was, it was different than the matrix. It's different than a bunch of these other things that other people have been trying to do. Mm. And I feel like from that perspective, you know, um, and I can't remember the name of that one movie. I saw a movie that they shot in first person's perspective. You never actually see the actor. And it's Ooh. it's really just a bloody gory movie. And, and I don't know that anybody has ever really paid that much attention to it. It didn't do that well in the box office. But I watched it because it's a sci-fi post-apocalyptic thing. But, um, <laughs> you know, they shoot it in first person. And it's just totally, you know, it's totally crazy and it's totally different. And, um, and uh, you know, I think this is that moment. I think... The moment when, you know, Mama skins those guys and gets them high and throws them off the balcony. I think the moments, you know, where he busts in and they're firing weapons and these guys are all looking at him and everything around them is happening in slow motion and they're dying just right and left. And then when Mama gets thrown off, we get to experience that again. And I think it really plays well into the movie. And I think it gives you a unique perspective on this is what it's like to be high on this stuff. Oh yes, you know, very much so. So I, yeah, I, th I thought they did a fantastic job with it, and I thought it was a really unique way to tell the story. Yeah, which is why I kind of am a little bit sad that it didn't do as well as it uh, could have at the box office. And or heck, I, from what I've gathered, this movie has gained a cult following after its time in the theaters because. I, every other person I have talked about when it comes to Dread, like, oh, yeah, that's a wonderful movie, and I loved it so much, and stuff. And I'm like, why did it do so badly at the box office? Because I so wanted a sequel. Hopefully, you know, we might get one eventually, but it's, uh, you know, I'm crossing fingers here. Well, there's been some talk, and I mean, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a score of 79%. Mm. And, you know, and most people that, you know, most people that 
the fans love the movie. It's at 91% with fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, it does have a huge cult following right now. And Urban's talked about um, reviving the character here as of late. And there's, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many post-apocalyptic movies that that Urban has played in. You know, <laughs> you know um, Priest. I, I loved him in Priest, even though he was the bad guy. Um, you know, there's just different stuff that he's played in. And he always, he just fits those 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 sci-fi roles and those post-apocalyptic roles. He's always mm-hmm. done so well in those. And I know it's kind of a typecast kind of thing. Oh, we need Carl Urban because we're going to do this. Um, but um, he just does a fantastic job of portraying a lot of these characters. And I think with Dredd, you know, it really set him apart from other people that either, you know, Stallone played the role and granted, you know, it was really just kind of a, I don't know. I felt like it was just kind of a campy thing. Um, I think if we do get another Dread, I would like to see some more of the characters out of the Dread comics in there and a little more character development, but you get a good feel for Dread and, you know, and you really get a good feel for, you know, um, Judge Anderson and you know you even start to get to know some of these other people and I think you know um, you know the judges on the take for instance I mean all that stuff we're slowly building a world and I felt like that they were building it on this one movie and then going to make another because to be honest Dread could be like Batman you could do an entire series on, on all the all the material you have on Dread you, mm-hmm. you could literally run Dread for you know some it, it could be, you know, 10 movies. Who knows? So. <laughs> hey, I'd watch every single one of them. I don't know if Me other too. people would. But, but, you know, going back to the whole slow-mo thing, I mean, you and I have discussed other trippy movies before, but, you know, we have seen, you know, both between us, multiple movies, I'm sure, where a character is either high or drunk. You know, I think of films like Train Spotting, Fear and Loathing yep. in Los Angeles, or, you know, even uh, Max Payne to a certain extent. And we even got it a little bit in, you know, when you and I discussed the Doctor Strange film. I wonder if they had given this film to 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 this to director, to Travers, I wonder what kind of film we would have gotten. I really do, because right. it could have been incredibly true. He probably would have embraced, you know, the origins of Doctor Strange, should we say, the, the trippier, more kind of crazy right. stuff, you know? Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, drug use in the movies, every director, I think, has looked for a unique way to portray it. And I think if you look at things like train spotting and you look at some of these others, you get some of those moments. And I think um, one of the things I will say that um, that happens, and I think they could take a page out of some video games. I think one of the things that happens, especially um in video games and stuff like that nowadays when you get poisoned or you get, you know, um, you go into some toxic gas, things like that, they distort your view. And I think that, you know, a lot of these filmmakers, if they took a page out of some of these um, video game, uh, some of these video games that you see nowadays, um, and I feel like that they do do that to an extent, um, and I wish for the life of me, I could remember that one movie, but I can't, um, uh, they, um, you know, they, they really, there's really a bunch of ways that you can do this. And I think in this movie in particular, we got to see a very unique and fantastic take on the way that he wanted it to look. And it worked. I mean, it worked through the whole movie. It really, really did, and 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 you know, and going back you know to the to the whole slow mo thing, you know, the 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 scenes are so trippy, and obviously they're supposed to be. Though I kept wondering to myself, why do folks want to take a drug that makes you perceive time in a slower fashion? You know, granted there are real life drugs out there that will give you similar effects, but I hate to misuse the misuse this term, but they they were the scenes were incredibly beautiful in their violent and warped way i don't know what right. that says i don't know what that says about me but uh, i <laughs> but i found them well, incredible they were just so beautiful to watch right well and you know the movie that i was talking about filmed in first person was hardcore henry and it was filmed oh, in okay. 2016 mm. um they show a lot of um um 
they show a lot of distortion in this movie from his perspective, especially if he's been drinking or he's drugged or different things like that. And, you know, it's, it's a terrible movie. I'll just be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I had to watch it because we've, I've played so many first person shooter games that when somebody films a movie in like first person, literally mm. you're, you know, you feel like you're the guy's eyeballs in this whole thing. And, um, I watched that movie and I'm just kind of like, okay. Um, but the way that they, they, the way that they used his perspective was amazing. And I think that's what they did in this movie. The way they use each person's perspective, um, really changed the way that you view what's going on in the film at that point in time, because you see things from Dredd's perspective and then you see things from Mama's when she's high. Or you see things from Dredd's perspective, and then you see them from the guys that are all high in the room, and they're in there fighting their way through it. And so, you know, it's, again, I I really got to give him kudos on how he put that together, because it a lot of times that stuff doesn't translate. And yeah. this time it did. And, you know, I I look at all the characters, and, and you you wonder what they're, they're, what they're going to see, and you actually get to see what they're experiencing, and it changes your perspective on what's going on and it's really kind of cool very much so i mean definitely kudos to pete travis indeed i think uh, quite quite the director indeed so before we get to ratings here kelly let's look at how this film ended because i was a little bit uh, conf not conflicted but i had some opinions on the ending here because ostensibly mama of course is defeated and uh, we find that by the end of the film Anderson hands in her badge and walks away, but we do find out that apparently in Dredd's eyes she had passed, so or right. she passed the test. So, what were your thoughts on how that film ended? I mean, do you, did were you uh, were you satisfied with the way it ended? You know that we see basically Anderson and Dredd part ways, or would you have preferred a different ending? Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've thought about it a couple different ways, and mm. I'm. I'm okay with the way it ended. I, I don't think that it ended in the way that I felt like it. I, I mean, we just went through an entire building. You know, we had judges trying to kill other judges. We've had druggies trying to kill dread. They put, you know, and her and just the situations they were put in. And then for that ending, I think, I feel like though, when dread's standing there talking and he says she passed, I feel like that, you get to see a little bit um, of the heart of dread at that point, because she made mistakes, but she didn't make any mistakes that would cost her being a judge. And she got captured. There was all kinds of things that were happening. She figured she failed. Um, she's like, she didn't feel like she did very well, but you know, when you look at it, she was as dread like as he was in some aspects and it really paid off at the end when, you know, she hands the badge and he looks over at, at the chief judge and says, she passed, you know? Um, so I feel like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think they could have, I wasn't looking for a feel good ending. I'm not looking for the ending we got in the, in the judge dread movie. Was the Where they kiss. <laughs> yeah. That was not the ending I was looking for. Cause that's not dread. I mean, I felt like they played it out pretty well. Could they have done some things different? Probably. What could they have done different? I don't know. I, I think there could have been a little more, you know, maybe just a little more commentary there towards the end, you know, between him and her. Um, but I feel like, you know, okay, we wanted to keep it the hardcore dread, and that's exactly the way they wanted to end it. So, you know, I can live with the ending. It may not be my favorite, but I think if we can see another movie come, I think they may expand on some of those things. So we'll see. Yeah, because I almost feel this film was almost open-ended, literally, and maybe they were hoping, maybe Pete Travers was hoping he'd get a sequel, because, you know, you we don't know if after that, you know, Dredd actually goes to find Anderson, you know, to let her know that she passed, you know, it's, it's hard to say, or heck, even the justice system itself tries to get in touch with, 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 with Cassandra to tell her, look, you know, you don't have to, you, you know, give up. You didn't fail. So I think it might be a little bit open-ended in that case. I mean, it works as a standalone, but my thought is maybe Pete Travers was hoping that, that, that he would get a sequel. So that's probably why he ended it that way. 
But at the same time, I'm so glad that we did not get a kiss between Dredd and Cassandra. <laughs> because in, of course, Judge Dredd, in the, the Stallone one, before Dredd hops on his bike and drives off, what does he do? Of course, because he's sliced alone in its 90s action films, he does have to kiss the female lead, right? So that's what, that's what he does. But, um, but it was so out of character for Dredd. So... It was a good ending, but uh, I do. My thought was maybe we're hoping we get a sequel as well. Uh, so let's get to ratings then, Kelly. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten? Um, I, you know, I got to give it nine exploding lawmakers. Um, <laughs> um, just, I, I really enjoyed the film from the beginning to the end. Um, it's got that gritty feel to it. It made me reminisce about the original RoboCop. To be honest with you. And, yes. and um, it, it just really was um, what I expected a Dread movie to be. You know, the Stallone movie back in the 90s, it was what it was. I mean, Stallone was a powerhouse. You know, we had um, Demolition Man. We had Judge Dredd. We had all those movies that he was starring in back then. And people were just, you know, eating up anything that he did. And I get it. And he played, don't get me wrong, Stallone played, a, he got the size and demeanor to play a good Judge Dredd. The problem that I feel like is that we didn't get the Judge Dredd from the comics in that. We got what we kind of got spoon fed something that was more for teens than it was for an adult audience. This movie was geared towards true Dread fans and people that um, have followed the comics and really, you know, know the character. And I think that they held true to that in this. And it just, it really made the movie and it really, to me, was a better dread movie than, than, than Stallone's, but that's, you know, my personal opinion. So, <laughs> well, you know what, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm half a point, uh, you know, beneath you because I'm going to give this an eight and a half out of 10. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, I, uh, I also proudly own the Blu-ray of this film because, uh, it I, it gets a, it gets a lot of watched a lot, a lot of watches for me. I mean, I hadn't watched it in a while. You know, when I started this podcast, because I was waiting and hoping for the right person to come along and say I want to review Dread. So when you told me let's do Dread, I was like, yes, I can finally take it down and watch it again. So so I was so happy, and and I was kind of like watching almost like. I missed you, Dread. I really did. And, uh, so it was just wonderful to watch. And like I said, I, this is the path to, to take if you want to make future Dread movies indeed. So when it comes to reading recommendations, um, Kelly, did you have any Dread, Judge Dread-related comics uh, or storylines that you would like to recommend? Um, I've got a few. Uh, mm-hmm. The Cursed Earth Saga from 1977 and 1978. Um, you know, I, if I remember this right, Dredd is transporting medical supplies across the cursed earth um, and the radioactive wasteland outside Mega City One. And, um, you know, it's not an easy thing. You know, we encounter, you know, mutants and monsters and all kinds of stuff and robots, you name it. I, I think um, that one's a really good one to read if you're wanting to get into Judge Dredd. Um, I feel like... Um, I feel like another one is the dark judges from 1980 and 81. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one's a really good one. Um, uh, you know, judge death comes to mega city and I think that one really starts. And this is where you also get to see, um, judge Anderson in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. I think, uh, the block mania and apocalypse war from 81, 82, those that's a really good series to read um if you're into that and you know just so the listeners know if you're not if you're used to to art from like marvel and dc and some of these it's very different than the art and the way that things are portrayed are very different from the way that normal everyday marvel and and dc comics are and i think if you take time you'll 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 learn to enjoy it as much as I do. Well, very well, very well said. And, you know, and I think that's also the beauty of comics is uh, if you want to, you know, explore or should we say um, expand your boundaries outside of the big two, these are definitely, definitely, it's definitely a comic worth checking out. You know, to, to uh, for coming off to your recommendations, I would suggest America, written by John Wagner and art and, and uh, drawn by Colin McNeil from 1990, 1991. 
this is literally Judge Dredd's own Dark Knight Returns, All-Star Superman or Kingdom Come, all wrapped into one big blood-spattered, star-spangled banner. Because here we have John <laughs> Wagner and Colin McNeil's America. It's an exploration of the sad fate that awaits democracy and liberty if it isn't safeguarded from the forces that purports to safeguard it. So I guess kind of timely for what's unfortunately been going on recently. It's not subtle in the slightest, but it's powerful. And the curtailed freedoms of the United States and indeed the United Kingdom and elsewhere, you know, it ensures its message is as resonant now as it was in 1990. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, I also would suggest 2009's Judge Anderson, The Sci-Files, Volume 1, if you want to find out more about Judge Anderson's solo adventures, because Cassandra Anderson is, of course, a member of Psy Division, which is the psychic section of the Justice Department. And she's obviously, a, as we've seen, a precognitive telepath and empath, and she can detect crimes before they're committed. So definitely check this out. This is, granted, it's 400 pages, folks, but it's full of great action, great stories written by the likes of Alan Grant, John Wagner, and it features some stunning artwork by the likes of Brett E. Ewins, Mark Farmer, and Arthur Ranson. So definitely check those out indeed. So, dear listeners, if you want to be like Kelly and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. That's happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out with those also at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod, or on the Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness. A big, big thank you to our wonderful patrons out there. We really appreciate your support. And also, of course, a big thank you to our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. So when it comes to you, Kelly, you know, when you're not here discussing your love for superhero movies and, and the like, <laughs> where, can, where can folks find you on the interwebs and tell us a little bit about what you do? So they can find me on the internet at, at, on Facebook at uh, the Veterans Forum and something like yesterday. Veterans Forum is my weekly podcast slash radio show um, that I do for veterans. And we talk about difficult issues and things like that. And sometimes, you know, we just talk about life in general. So it's a lot of fun to to hang out. We do that for a couple hours on Saturdays. And then something like yesterday, the band page, um, you know, we haven't been able to due to the pandemic and everything else. We haven't been able to do a lot. So there's not been a lot of recently updated stuff there on our page. But, um, you know, we're getting ready to track a new album and, and get some things done. So kind of excited about that and hoping 2021 will allow us to get out there and maybe start playing some of this new stuff for folks. So, um, you know, they can find me there. Um, they can find us on Instagram at, uh, something like yesterday, um, something underscore like underscore yesterday. Um, there's, yeah, you can find me just about anywhere. You can Google Kelly Pippen. I promise I'll come up and it's Pippen like the Hobbit, not Pippen like the basketball player. <laughs> great and yes folks definitely check out the wonderful things that kelly does indeed and definitely check out something like yesterday they are an awesome awesome band indeed and when it comes to me speaking of music for you country music lovers i also host the radio show whiskey and cigarettes where we play traditional country today's country and everything else in between for more about that and where to tune in you can visit our website that's whiskey and cigarettes show.com podcast wise feel free to also check out our other project gold standard the oscars movie podcast where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend were reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. If you'd like to join us on for a discussion and discuss your favorite Best Picture winner, you can email us at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. That's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Added to that, I recently joined the Titan Talk team, uh, Jesse Jackson and Charles Skaggs, where we it's currently on hiatus because we're waiting for the new series of Titans and the new series of Doom Patrol. We're definitely going to be talking those. But keep your eyes peeled on the Fandom Zone podcast, which I have also recently joined, where in about a week or so, we'll be discussing the first two episodes of WandaVision. So definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> 
Yes, indeed. It's, it's about time, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and speaking of things to come on this show, next week we will be joined by Jamie Burns and Phil Perich to discuss the 2014 Mark Webb film, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That said, when it comes to you, Kelly, once again, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness, and I certainly thank you very much for joining me today. Well, I, I'm excited to be here, and I always enjoy having these talks with you, Nick, and we get to talk about a great film and you know some of the films we've discussed in the past haven't been that great but you know a lot of the ones that we do are fantastic and i think it's just uh it's just it's a lot of fun and i feel like you know it's i'm privileged and honored to be here and uh i appreciate uh you letting me host the show with you oh it's always a joy and a pleasure well that said folks Thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.